Welcome to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Kat Lee. I'm here to explore the ideas, stories, and experiences that dig deep into what it means to be an empowered and curious human. Together, we'll connect over emotional alchemy, conscious relationships, and embodiment medicine. On this podcast, I'll be sharing tools, techniques, and wisdom about coming back home to the truest version of yourself. Welcome back to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. So this week, I want to start out with a bit of a personal dive in. Um, I closed out a six-month coaching relationship container which is always a bit of a tender experience because as much as it's an investment for the client to commit to working with me for six months, that's you know financially, emotionally, spiritually, it's also a commitment and investment that I make on my end as well because my relationships with my clients is really deep and I only open up my schedule for a limited number of clients at a time because at this phase in my career, I'm looking for depth. I'm not looking for breadth. So not only do I not care that my schedule is a fifth of what it used to be when I had a clinical practice, I love that my schedule is this way because what I'm wanting is to inspire true transformation. And that requires the collateral of time and energy and love. And that happens over time. It happens in layers. It happens as we start unpeeling and unfolding and shedding and embracing and really stepping into the story of the individual. So when I close coaching relationship containers, it's an emotional experience for both of us. And it's a great time for me to reflect on the growth that's happened for the client in the past six months. One of the pain points that I hear a lot in my coaching containers is that you feel like you're walking through life with a sense of obligation to live your life pleasing others being selfless and believing that all you deserve in life is the conditional love that your family and society programmed into you. You learned that how you receive love is by abandoning yourself. And what I mean by that is that you live up to the expectations of your family. You mold yourself to look a certain way. You pursue goals and careers that are valued in society. And slowly, little by little, you start to abandon yourself. And what happens when you abandon yourself? What happens when you embody the archetype of the good girl and forget about your own desires and creativity? What happens is that you end up choosing love from others over choosing love for yourself. And that can show up in your marriage if you feel like you need to mold yourself to be or look a certain way to receive love. It can show up in your familial relationships, even in adulthood, where you might um, feel like you have to hide certain aspects of yourself to avoid shaming or disappointing your family. Or you might go down a career path that feels like you're swimming upstream because you're not actually playing to your inherent gifts. Okay, so here's the thing. You cannot embody the creator if you are chasing being good and being loved. Because rather than stepping into your gifts with confidence, you'll learn how to be a contortionist and shapeshift yourself to receive external validation. If you live within the conditional parameters of being good that is deeply rooted in society, in your family, the messages you received in childhood rather than your inner knowing, 
you'll always be chasing love. When you neglect your sexuality, your creativity, your character, you're withholding the gifts that are inherent in you that the world deserves to see. And when you silence yourself, you are denying your soul's contract. This work with my clients resonates so deeply to my soul. And the more and more I learn about our inherent, unique constitutional gifts, the more I actually get curious about Chinese face reading. Because right here on your face is a blueprint for what kind of personality you're born with, what kind of careers you'd be naturally gifted at, where in the world you feel the most rejuvenated, what your natural gifts are. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode with Gray. We are going to have a conversation about what happens when you step into the you who was born perfect and whole and deserving of love and with a unique mandate to show up and manifest in this lifetime. Stepping into your mandate and connecting to your inner knowing are two of the pillars that I embody with my clients. Once you're able to truly feel into that, Life is about identifying moments when you choose yourself instead of what society scripted out for you. Life is an invitation to step into empowerment and curiosity. It becomes easier to hold loving boundaries because you know where your energies begin and end. This is often so difficult because as quote unquote good girls, we don't allow ourselves to do the thing we want to do because we don't want to feel the feeling beneath that. I'm going to say that again. As good girls, we don't allow ourselves to do the thing we want to do because we don't want to feel the feeling beneath that. And what I mean by that is that we're afraid of disappointing our parents. We're afraid that we might hurt our partner. We're afraid that our kids might be scared. Something that I am constantly reminding my coaching clients is that if you love yourself, you allow other people to have their own process. You are not controlling that process for them. It's showing them where they need to grow and where where they are still holding on. It's showing them where they have shadows and you get to be a catalyst for their learning. When you learn to hold loving boundaries, you can embrace more of you while still loving others. You're showing people exactly how you need to be loved. And even if they're hurt, you can still love them. So my invitation to you after you listen to this episode is to just show up and be messy and mess up and invite the no and step into your mandate because that makes you more available to life. I also want to share that because I had a client graduate this month, this means that I have space in my coaching practice for you. If you are ready to work on this good girl narrative and you want to break free from it. And this is a bit of a rarity because I take on a limited number of clients to ensure that we both have the energy to do the deep work together. And I'm happy to jump on a free connection call to see if we are a good fit for each other. You can reach out by sending me an email at cat at empoweredcuriosity.com. And so I am so excited that I get to share this conversation that I had with my good friend and colleague, Gray Estrada. He is a genius when it comes to face reading, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I had having it with him.
Welcome back to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. Today, I've got my good friend and colleague, Gray, here with me. And Gray and I go way back. We went to acupuncture school together, and um, I love what he brings to this medicine because I think he's delved into a branch of Chinese medicine that quite frankly, is is forgotten and, and looked over. And so um, even as somebody who's been practicing for almost a decade now, I think every time I have a conversation with Gray, I'm learning so, so much. And so we're going to dive into face reading today and um, really talk about how face reading can serve you and how it can really shape how you approach healthcare and and lifestyle medicine which is which is sort of gray's avenue of 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 working with this medicine so yeah so gray tell me a bit about let's start with like face reading like let's give people an intro into what that actually means because i think a lot of people have a sense of like it being like fortune telling which is so not true yeah well hello everybody um kat thank you for having me so i would say when we look at face reading, the way my teacher has disseminated the information to me and how she's related has basically said that Chinese medicine is a beautiful, elegant system of medicine. It's been around for thousands of years. And one of the oldest, oldest and most original branches is face reading. And she says that because for a couple different reasons. One, we all intuitively do it. So we're face reading from the time we're babies. We're, we're, we're scanning our parents' faces. We're always looking at faces. It's mm-hmm. one of the ways that we interface with human beings. And when we, you know, a smile, for instance, it's universally, you don't have to speak any language to understand what a smile means. So face reading is, it's old, it's original, and face reading classically was married with Chinese medicine, something fierce. So if we look at Chinese medicine, the classical image, right, is that they have man, human beings being an intermediary between the forces of heaven and earth. So we stand between, we have feet to the earth and our head to the heavens. Mm -hmm. And we are a blend of those two energies, yin and yang polarities meeting. Mm. And so with that, the human being, the individual is of the utmost importance. It's paramount. So when we look at a face, this is sort of the first layer or lens that we get to look at. This is the topography. This is the, the way face reading looks at it and the way classical Chinese medicine approaches this is that the face is a topography for your life. So Chinese medicine has microsystems, which you know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that the ears, so when they do auricular uh, acupuncture on the ears, the hands, which is where palmistry and reading the palms comes from. There's reflexology, where we work on the feet. Some would even argue that the abdomen has its own microsystem and then the face. Mm -hmm. So all of these microsystems, if we look at them, they are a holographic representation of the larger whole, as above, so below, as they Mm -hmm, say. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when we look at the face in this way, this gives us a baseline and why it's important. The face is the the landform of your life. And that's the coolest part about Chinese medicine and why Classically, face reading and feng shui were so closely related because mm. what you see on your face and the, fe- the features that you have also point to the geography that's most optimal for you. Mm-hmm. And then there's food and you know other things, but that's that's basically kind of the, the entry point. Yeah, yeah. And I've been like admittedly diving into a bit of your YouTube videos um, in the last month or so, and yeah. I love how you 
Um, can you give the the tiger analogy? I love how you explain yeah. that and like the gifts that you bring into the world. And sure, the the thing that Kat's referring to is basically getting people to not think of face reading as fortune telling, and that's the thing that people usually get into. That it's just like. Uh, a psychic hotline number where I'm going to tell you that you're going to open a foundation and you're going to jump into this thing. And that's not what it is. It's not psychic fortune telling. I'm not reading your future. So the analogy that Cap was just referring to is the tiger analogy, which is form and function relate in the natural world. So Chinese medicine is a naturalistic philosophy, meaning we look at the natural rhythms in the world and therefore we try to apply them to ourselves. And when we look at form and function in the natural world, we see something like a tiger, which a tiger has stripes on its body, has claws, uh, it has sharp teeth. And so the, the teeth point to a carnivorous diet, as do the claws. The stripes point to its capacity to camouflage in its environment. And then if we look at something, say, like a monkey, a monkey is, has long limbs. It's a light body, a prehensile tail, mm-hmm. very strong hands. And it's equipped to move through the trees nimbly, you know, with, mm-hmm. with quickness. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the structure of animals, we can see very quickly the way a giraffe is built, the way an elephant is built, the way an alligator is built, anything, a snake, a constrictor. We start to see that how they're built, that shape fully relates to the function that they fulfill in its ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Human beings are no different. So we have this same uh, parameter. But what's different about humans is, is that, and where the Chinese really brought that down was, they said, well, the face is where we're going to see a ton of the differences. Absolutely, the body reading is also a part of face reading. That's sort of like an mm-hmm. extension that I'm learning about more. But the way a person's built is going to point to you know, their, their proclivities, their aptitudes, and their strengths. So you could say that the tiger, because it has you know, stripes and it has those sharp teeth, it's like it's probably going to have some aptitudes in some very specific areas and in this environment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you relay that to people, we're no different. We're mammals. We're part of the, the natural world. So the rules follow suit for us as well. Yeah. And that makes so much sense to me because like you're saying, you know, we we look at creatures out in the world and, and somehow we think that man is separate. Somehow we think that like humans are, are special or different and, you know, we get to um, have complete say in, in, in everything and and I love this this way of thinking because it's like okay so what are you naturally born what like what sort of gifts are you naturally born with and how can we play to those gifts instead of feeling like you're you're swimming upstream your whole life because you've just not picked the right you know um, career or location or lifestyle that that actually suits you correct yeah, that's, a, that's exactly right. And I think that's what drew me to face reading in general was that idea, uh-huh. was that you can be sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you're just not playing it. You don't know mm. necessarily what you're sitting on. And that's the biggest, the pitfall, I think that I see, it's not even a pitfall because it has its place, but I think in Chinese medicine, there's this idea, in Western medicine too, they treat disease. And even the Chinese medicine model has become that way. We treat disease, we find the disharmony you know how you and I learned in school. Yep. <laughs> here are the problems with the person. Here are the buttons you push and here are the herbs that you make them eat. Mm-hmm. And that's, and you sort of address the symptom. And yes, they talk about theory about how to get to the root, but in the end, it's the lens is here's a pathology. How do you treat disease? Yeah. And what's really cool about face reading is yang sheng. You know, that's my specialty is I, I'm a yang sheng specialist, which means it translates as life nourishment. 
as opposed to treating pathology, how do you nourish life? Mm-hmm. And the face reading piece is so cool because of that. You can look at a person's face and very quickly start to see, okay, those facial features are pointing to one, the geography that's optimal for them. Where should they be living? What size bodies of water? What's most ideal for them in that way? Mm. Once you have that, then we start looking at the traits on the face that indicate emotionality. You know, large eyes and small eyes. These means these are different things in terms of extroversion and introversion. Mm-hmm. We start looking at hairline, chin. Mm. You know, all of the features have elemental correspondences, which is a whole other thing we can open up <laughs> during this conversation. But that's the coolest part is that you can start to get a very clear lens as to, aha, here's what your face says, you know, here are your claws, here are your sharp teeth or your flat teeth. Mm. What does that mean for you? And then people, it's so nice to work with people where you're sort of, you're sort of building up their strengths and talking to them like, hey, you've got this awesome thing that you're sitting on. You should probably be using that. And if you're not, start because Mm -hmm. that, that's, I think the biggest thing that I have taken from face reading and, and studying with my teacher, Lillian Bridges, who's, mm-hmm. you know, my, she's just an amazing teacher. She has said, she said, look, you know, we all have to use our gifts. They call it Jing in Chinese medicine. Our genetic constitution has to be used. You cannot just sit on it. And we're taught in school that if you overuse your Jing, the overuse of your gifts, too much sex, too much vigor, too much activity, all of those things will deplete your life force. But she also said, but if you don't use your Jing, that will make you sick too. Mm. Which I, so underuse of your talents and your aptitudes will also make you sick. It'll take life from you eventually in the same way. You can't, there's, the, of course, the middle path, very Dallas, right? You, yeah. you, know, you yeah. can't do too much or too little. You have to be using them, but not to excess. Yeah. And that's, that's the main thing. And that's usually a breath of fresh air for a lot of people because they're yeah. just not fully leaning into what they're good at. Mm-hmm. And I love this because... Actually, I think if there's a common thread between all the guests that I've had on this podcast so far is um, this idea of let's not fix or look at you as a broken thing, you know, like let's see how can we um, help you create the best expression of your life and you have complete autonomy over that. And so what I'm hearing in your, in a bit of your assessment is like, you're sort of narrowing things down for people and making the choices a bit easier instead of like, here is the, you know, poo-poo platter of life, you know, pick something. And then there's a lot of conditions placed on you and, you know, mom and dad thinks that you should be doing this and society thinks that you should be doing that. And you sort of get pulled in so many different directions Correct. when you're actually born with this beautiful blueprint yeah. right here on your face. Yeah. It's like screaming out saying, you know, like, Hey, look at this yeah. because th- this is important. And I think everything you just said is, is right on point. And the cool thing about this, I think about face reading, you know, accessing this classical branch is it re-engages and re-enlivens the art found in Chinese medicine. And I think that's the coolest. Chinese medicine is an art, but sometimes it can become mechanistic, what I call mm-hmm. cookbook Chinese medicine. It can become very formulaic in how we approach it. And the art here is, the analogy I like to use is if you, if you put an apple in the center of a room and you get 30 people with easels and paint, and mm-hmm. you say, okay, everybody paint the apple. You can go around and look at those paintings and say, you didn't do that right. That's not right. You didn't use enough color. You're outside the line there. You can nitpick and take down and sort of like look at the pathology of what wasn't done right. Or you can realize that there's actually 30 paintings 
They all painted something. Everyone's looking at it in a slightly different way and none of them are wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just how we see it. And I think mm-hmm. that's face reading is like that. It's like, once you get this thing, it's like, here are your tools. You can do with it, whatever the hell you want. Mm. You don't have to paint it a specific way. These are just the colors you might want to be using you know, mm-hmm. more consistently. It doesn't mean you can't touch the other things, but you know, you should probably be leaning into these things. So I like that piece of it, that, that the art is very much alive. You get to be the, you know, the artist of your life. You get to yeah. paint the canvas the way you want, but I just help you pick up the, the better brushes. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it too, because it goes back to, I mean, I think we had a couple of classes in, in acupuncture school where the classics talk about, you know, um, the, uh, the basic doctor treats disease and then the more superior doctor treats um, or supports life. You know, yeah. I can't remember the exact quote and how it goes, but yeah. essentially, you know, instead of looking at, at people as these disjointed signs and symptoms, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of Chinese medicine, unfortunately has sort of leaned in that direction post Chinese yep. revolution. Yep. Um, uh you know, we get to sort of go back to the roots of it, which is, which is very Taoist in thinking, which, you know, touches on the five elements, which is where I, you know, live and breathe my, my medicine. Um, But for you, like, I love that it's, it's taken us in two different directions, but we're sort of landing, we're climbing to the same mountain, (laughs) you know? Well, they all sort of meet in the same spot. I mean, I think that's kind of, they, they do, you know, I mean, at the end of the, it's, at the end of the day, it's like the top of the mountain is the top of the mountain. How mm-hmm. we're going to climb it is, you know, if we're going to, we're going to be climbing different faces <laughs> <pun intended>, <laughs> <laughs> of the mountain, but that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. The five elements and stuff, that stuff is huge. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like when somebody signs up to work with you in terms of like, like, Hey, I'm interested in Chinese medicine. And like, what does this face reading thing look like? Like, tell me, like, walk me through like what a session with you looks like and and what sort of things that people can actually learn from a session. Yeah. So the way my, my website is in dire need of an update. So if you go to my website, you'll see like core themes, but I'm, I'm actively working to, to reassess this, to put what you just said into a visual context because my background is art. So I love to get things visually. I read faces, it's visual. So the, the big one is this, if you come to me for a face reading, what I, face reading is what I call the portal of entry. So I have what I call the five, five pillars of health and it's sort of the five key cogwheels of Chinese medicine that are the lifestyle living rhythms that we need, I think, to optimize our life terrain, okay, how we actually navigate life. So at the center of that cogwheel is the face, the individual. Mm-hmm. So the, the four wheels around that, which pertain to seasonal eating and diet, like our, what we call dietetics in Chinese medicine, how we actually eat. We've got uh, meditation and mindset, like what we actually do with our thoughts, how do we run that upper burner. Then we've got um, external feng shui and design. And then we've got, um, my spank, we've got, yeah, food, we've got meditation, that I'm totally spacing on my, my fifth one <laughs> in this moment. It'll totally swing back to me. It just, yeah, I'm sure it will. As I'm formulating the thoughts, I've just got it. But we've got the, these five key pillars, right? So we've got the cogwheel of things moving around. And once we, once we understand this, the face reading is really the, the point of access where I look at your face and I say, okay, so given your facial features, how do we start looking at how these four wheels relate to your singular face? Mm-hmm. So when they, when they come in, the first thing I start with, I look at a person's Jing. There's three primary layers when we look at a face. 
where we're going to look at the, the Jing, Qi, and Shen of a person. Mm-hmm. So for the people listening, uh, if you're not a Chinese medicine person, Jing, Qi, and Shen. Jing is the material essence. This is our genetic blueprint of sorts. This is where we can see it in the bones of the face. Mm. And we can see constitutional strength. So we, we see things right out of the gates with the Jing. Then we look at what they call the Qi level, which is mm-hmm. bioelectricity, you know, the, 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 the breath and sustenance we get from food and air through coloring of the face. So we can look at organ function and assess the integrity, strength, and disposition of the organs by the colorings on the face. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of that one. And then the third is Shen, which is the, the spirit, the immaterial. The, the analogy I use is if you have a kerosene lantern, you have fluid in the bottom, you have the flame and then the light it gives off. The light that gives off that it gives off and fills the room, that is the Shen. It's the mm-hmm. immaterial light that actually flickers on the walls. And so you can look at a person through these three layers. And that's when I do a reading, I go through all three of these with the person and say, okay, so here's your Jing, mm-hmm. here's your Qi. And then we kind of go into Shen. And the things that bog down Shen are basically trauma, you know, mm. shame, guilt, pain, fear, those things will suppress how the spirit sort of comes to light mm-hmm. in life. So when I start a face reading, I do these things and then start going through and saying, okay, how do we shape your external design? How do we get you to eat? Movement arts was the was the the wheel that was, I was blanking on. <laughs> so a big piece of, of it is um, I teach classical Wu style Tai Chi. So if people are open to that, I teach them sets of Qigong movement exercises to facilitate that. But in the end, we start looking at like how do we calibrate movement for the person as well. Mm-hmm. All of these things can be ascertained by looking at the face. So that's mm-hmm. why I call it the portal of entry. Mm-hmm. If we can look at the face, I can I can steer you in all of these directions and say okay. Here are some the types of movement you might want to explore. Mm-hmm. Here are the types of foods or things you need to watch. Here's you know ways to think, meditate, styles mm-hmm. of meditation, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So it's like I said, it's a it opens up a pretty big door, but they're all lifestyle actionable steps that the person can take rather than having a practitioner quote unquote fix you. And that's mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing. Like acupuncture is so critically needed. You know, it's a I mean, I still get acupuncture and um, you know, you need the tune-ups at the season, and if you're injured or if you're sick but it's also someone doing something to you. Yeah. So that's a little different. And here are herbs that you should take and I'm giving to you. Mm-hmm. These are, you know, big tools, like how you can be living day to day, morning mm-hmm. to morning. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. And I think intention is huge here too. You know, mm-hmm. like I love when we're able to give tools and techniques to folks so that they can also sort of integrate those those aspects into their lives. But, you know, to speak to your point around acupuncture and herbs, mm-hmm. intention is huge when, we, when it comes to choosing points, when it comes to prescribing herbs as well, because yep. there's a way to... Um, to, to choose points and with the intention of like, I'm going to fix this person. And then there's another way to choose points that's like, okay, so like this is going to help release the natural potential of this body's innate ability to heal. And, um, and I think that that is on a practitioner to practitioner sort of basis, but also just in terms of how you as a patient take the herbs or receive the treatment. Correct. You know, you made a, you brought up a really good point. And I think this is where this is cool, how these things harmonically layer that Mm -hmm. they, it's the same thing being said in a different way. So, you know, from, doing acupuncture and performing it on on patients that one of the things we learn in school is when you're inserting a needle into a body and you've, you've chosen a point this is a point that's going to be functional for them mm-hmm. 
your intent goes through the needle and into the person. There's, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a, a mode of intention that's happening when we insert a needle. Are we tonifying? Are we sedating? But a lot of it has to do with what's my mind doing while I put that needle into the person? 100%. You have to be so attentive, right? You can't just mm-hmm. be thinking about Doritos and, and you know, you have to be present you know, <laughs> about what you're wanting to do with this person. That's a huge yeah. piece. And when we, when we look at that, you know, you're taking a needle and inserting it and tonifying or sedating the use of this stuff, okay, with face reading and lifestyle, it's no different. It's, mm. it's the exact same process. It's saying, so here's your face. And now that I've given you some parameters and some tools, where are you going to intentionally start putting your focus into your life? Yeah. Where are you going to start putting it into, how are you going to very much sharpened, sharpen that focus into your dietary eating rhythms? Mm-hmm. Where do you put your intent? So again, it's like once you kind of have a baseline of what I'm good at or what I have strength for, it's like, okay, now you've just been given the tool of where to put your intent. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the beautiful part about this and also the tricky edge. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the big piece about herbs or Chinese medicine, they, they say with herbs is, you know, compliance is the biggest rule. You got to take them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing with this stuff. You do have to pursue it. You do have to give it energy and that's, that can be tricky for some people, but that's kind of what I do. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I help people. Yeah. So this sort of brings up related, but maybe not related sort of topic because I find that so many of my patients, I don't know if this is your case too, but so many of my patients are like type A and like sort of go, go, go. Like you talked a bit about Jing you know, mm-hmm. and like these people are, you know, burning the candle at both ends. And oftentimes hearing lifestyle recommendations feels like another thing on their to-do list. Yep. So how would you speak to somebody who um, is like, oh God, great. I can't think about, you know, adding a Tai Chi practice into my world. Like I already have so much going on. Like how would you speak to somebody um, who's approaching yeah. it in that way? It's a, it's a great question um, because a lot of Americans, I mean, I know you're in Canada, but a lot of people here are overwhelmed. They have mm-hmm. too many things on their plate. And what I've found, at least in my experience, is that a lot of it's how you tell the story. So I, I try to reframe the story of mm-hmm. their life a little bit, how they're telling them, themselves. And so what I always kind of bring to light right away is, is I say, look, I'm not taking anything away. Mm-hmm. You're having too much sex, you're working too hard, you're doing these things. I'm not even saying take these things away yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These things will naturally fall by the wayside if you lean into the things that you are naturally good at. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like it's sort of like the jing that we have, the gifts that we have, it's sort of like a river that's already been carved, but it's currently dry. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is just open the floodgates and let the water go into that spot. And it's, mm. it's, it's built to hold that water and it's going to flow very nicely. Mm -hmm. So people usually when they're feeling overwhelmed, I'm saying it's not that you have too much going on. You're actually just not putting enough focus. You're not allocating the water into these areas. And when you do that, the, you know, the BS, the things that you're doing, the things that you're scattering your energy will actually naturally fall by the wayside. Mm. So it really kind of, again, you you nourish the strength. And by doing that, the deficiency takes care of itself as opposed to here's the deficiency. Here's the thing you got to do because to fix you, it's like, no, 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 (laughs) you're missing it. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to fix you. Mm -hmm. You've just got these natural, you know, 
carved out rivers waiting for water. Yeah. And that's why you feel scattered. You're just not putting water there. So I don't take anything away from my, my clients. Yeah. I say, you know, if some people have, for instance, a difficult time with uh, addictive eating, they have, they eat their emotions mm-hmm. and they just feel they've got to, they've got to do that. And they, well, I really lean towards sweets and I really lean towards this and that when I'm getting emotionally taxed. And I say, mm-hmm. well, don't take them away. No big deal. But given your face, here are the strengths. And I want you to start naturally just focusing on these things. And what they notice is that the thing, the hurdle they had in their head to get rid of the sweets, to tackle that problem organically starts to fall by the wayside if they simply start nourishing the gift. Mm. And so again, that's kind of the way I retell the story to them is like, don't think of this as a burden. Think of this as reallocating. And as you reallocate your resources, things are naturally going to start to stabilize the harmonic will go and things yeah. come into, they come into tune, you know, they, yeah. they start to play appropriately. So that's the way I, I tell it. And most people, you know, grab at that. They're like, Oh, cool. Great. Yeah. I don't have to take anything away. I yeah. said, no, you're not, we're not adding anything per se. I think it feels like adding if they haven't touched a gift in a long time, but the good news is if they have a gift or an aptitude, when they lean into it, they're like, Oh, this actually feels pretty good. And it yeah. doesn't feel like a, it doesn't feel like a chore. Yeah. So yeah, that's the way I approach it. And I love it too, because it's, it's similar to how I approach it, which is, you know, like once we start looking at these things as celebrations, instead of a thing that I, you know, like in terms of like herbs, you know, I have to take this, otherwise, you know, my body's never going to be fixed again, or it's never going to function right again. Or, you know, people have this story around like I'm broken and, and I need mm-hmm. to be fixed. And it's like, Oh no, like if we can look at it as a celebration, it, it changes the intention behind it quite a bit, Yes, but it also brings into, and I love your analogies too, but um, I love it because it's, it's bringing yourself back into integrity. It's mm-hmm. like, it's allowing what is inside to match what is outside you know, Correct. and have that mirrored back and forth. And of course, that's going to continue to bring chi into your life, bring more energy, mm-hmm. bring more joy, uh, yep. bring more peace, um, rather than trying to put it into a place that's not in integrity. You know, mm-hmm. if you're somebody who is, you know, I don't know if I can come up with an analogy off the fly, but it's like if you're somebody <laughs> who is um, natural aptitude is to be a a healer and you're in the police force, you know, that's going to feel really depleting. Um, yeah. And, and so it's really just about allowing what is inside to just naturally flow to the outside. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. And I think more often than not, people forget that it, it, for whatever reason we, the, we, um, when you were on my podcast and we <laughs> bitter, it's very Chinese. It's very military. It's like, here's your deficiency. You've got to just beat this thing into the ground to make yourself better. And that's exhausting. And so uh-huh. I think with that culturally, globally, culturally across you know the globe, that has happened and people forget yeah. that we're supposed to naturally lean into these aptitudes. And there's that analogy that was, that, that was there. It's a picture that was sent. Um, it was circulated on the internet for years and it was, it had a bunch of different animals and it was a fish you know, uh, an elephant, a giraffe, and a monkey. And, and it was like, whoever climbs the tree, the fastest wins. And they said, this is sort of like the state, this is like the model for standardized testing. Like you're asking people to go through this thing when they all have different aptitudes and strengths. Aptitudes, and I thought, yeah. 
I thought that's the story of my life. I've struggled so heavily, you know, in academia, even though I was in school my whole life up until 32, I always <laughs> struggled because my brain's just a little more creative and visual and abstract. And just to give like a living example of this, when yeah. I crossed paths with Lillian Bridges, my face reading teacher, she's, you know, she's world renowned. She's incredibly good at it and so open hearted. And when she was reading my face, I'm 38 right now. And when I was 30, I think is the first time I got a face reading from her. And she was reading my face and she said, look, I'm going to say this, but you got to hear it the way I mean it. She's like, you kind of have the face of a face reader. <laughs> she said, you, <laughs> she's like, you could probably do this at some point down the road. And I, I didn't really sit with it. I didn't really embrace that for another three years before I really started to jump uh. in. But she said, you know, she was looking at my eyes. She's like, you got big eyes. That, that's, that's a visual acuity skill. So if you're not using your visual capacity, it's, you know, you're going to be playing, you're going to be playing um, or running uphill all the time. You've mm. got to play to that. She said, so as soon as I got into face reading and really embraced it, it was just a natural order. It felt so, I, I thought, I like, I, I do feng shui. I'm an artist by nature. I like visual cues. I like making food look beautiful. I like beautiful things in my environment. I like looking at trees and skies and so it's like that visual acuity and she just pointed it out. She's like, yeah, you need to be using that visual acuity. And if you're not, that's problematic as all hell. And you're going to feel like you're fighting the current. And mm -hmm. she was right. I jumped in. I thought, Ooh, this is, this feels easier. Yeah. And that was a load off. To that's get the that. young Shen right there. That's it. Yeah. Life nourishment. Yeah. In a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I cringe to think about how many kids, go through life feeling like they are not good enough or yep. feeling like there's something wrong with them because they are not fitting into the box, you know, of like you have to climb the tree and, yeah. you know, maybe you're a fish or maybe you're an elephant instead. Yeah. It's a, it's a big thing to, really consider because one size doesn't fit all. There's lots of different thinkers and philosophers in the world and across the board, regardless of politics or whatever, I'm always sort of coming back to, do they focus on the individual? Are they saying that the unique signature, it's, there's only one of you, there's only one of me, mm -hmm. and that is unique. Every person has that unique thing happening. And if that's not being stressed, for, I don't care what lens I'm looking through, if the individual is not kind of at the core, that's, that's why group think makes me nervous in general. When, when we get huge amounts of people thinking exact same way about mm -hmm. something, mm -hmm. that's, that can be very problematic. And we, you know, there's some baselines, of course, you know, let's all, you know, some basic laws about murder and, you know, crime and robbery, like we shouldn't do. I'm on board with those things, but you get the drift of what I'm saying is that yeah. we, we have to keep the individual at the center, the yeah. central pivot, and you got to know yourself. And that's why face reading and Chinese medicine helps. It's, yeah. it, that's what it's designed to do. That's why Chinese medicine is so elegant. And I think why it survived thousands of years because mm. of this very mechanism. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because as you're speaking, like, again, it's like multiple trails up the same mountain, right? Um, mm -hmm. Of mm -hmm. like, I do so much work around inner child and, and helping people become, you know, more in tune with their inner child. And I just did a podcast episode about this. Um, I think it was episode seven. 
Mm. And one of the woundings that we have as children is, do you see me and do you hear me? And do you celebrate me as a unique individual? And so much of us, so many of us have that wounding of not being seen and heard and celebrated as the unique, you know, you're never going to exist on this plane again. I'm never going to exist on this plane again, you know, and, and yet we have society that's saying, you know, this kind of career is, is what is, what is respectable. And this kind of work is what's good for you. And you're supposed to look this particular way, your body is supposed to fit this particular model. You know, there's so much around, like, let's mold you into somebody. And that's where we get a lot of our inner child wounding. And I can see how when you work with somebody and you're like, actually, like, look at these amazing gifts that only you are born with. Um, how, How nourishing and how freeing that feels for that person's inner child. Absolutely. I mean, I think when you get down to the core of these things that, you know, you're built a specific way emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So we're going to have everybody for every gift. There's a, there's a taxation for it. There's Mm -hmm. a, there's like, like myself, a creative person, my whole family, creative types. And one of the taxations for that is in for the artist, hence the, the archetype, the starving artist who has a tremendously difficult time monetizing their creativity, mm. monetizing their gifts. And every person is going to be like that with, with whatever their aptitude or strength is. Maybe they're highly conscientious or highly analytical. That's going to be an amazing gift and there's a taxation. But in the end, if you lean into those things, life current gets naturally easy, easier. Mm. That, that's, that's, I mean, I think that's really the simplicity of it is it's like lean into what you're good at. Yeah, You do need to be doing that. And yeah. it doesn't mean you always have to make money off of it. You can have regular work or regular things, but the idea is that you're using it because a lot of this stuff is not, um, you know, we get real hung up on money because we do have to make a living and that's a reality that everyone has to face. But in the end, you you know, my artistic skills, this is using myself as an example. My teacher was like, you don't have to make money off of it. You just have to use it. Mm -hmm. That's all. Just use it. As Mm -hmm. long as you're using it, you're going to get the spiritual benefit. You're going to get the energetic benefit. Your organs are going to thank you. So it's sort of seeing that like you've got to funnel energy out these ways so that life can circulate and move. There Mm -hmm. is a natural flow and there is a, there is a, you know, we're all going to have a certain carving that we got to fill. And that's what I like about it. I mean, it it comes back to a very simple mechanism, just being um, attentive to what you're good at and leaning into it. But it is hard for a lot of people. We have to kind of unlearn that habit to not do that uh-huh. and that's uh-huh. that's the tricky part yeah if i can ask you a question you yeah. asked me that on how you get people how i tell the story you said like i told you my answer i said i reframe the question or i, re- uh-huh. I reframe their story to get them to see it a different way when people because you're treating in the in a sense you know acupuncture herbs you're actually treating kind of in a clinical context what do you tell people how do you counteract the pushback that people are like, Oh, cat, don't make me do another thing. Don't <laughs> add another chore to my list. Yeah. What do you say, what do, what do, you say to him? Um, so this might be a little bit of a polarizing answer just because I've yeah. moved away from a stereotypical clinical practice because of this. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why I moved away is because for me, um, I'm finding that there's a, there's a kind of client that I want to work with and it's the kind mm. of client who wants to, um, to, to care more about their health than I care about 
<laughs> theirs, you know, yeah. um, yep. I was finding that being in a clinical practice and, and at the end I was seeing about 50 patients a week. Um, wow. and it was a very sort of fix me sort of model, which is understandable because that's the system that we are in right now. And so yeah. I'm actually similar to you. Like I'm, I'm moving more towards a coaching sort of, mm-hmm. um, realm, Yep. And so I'm finding that the people who are, are, you know, finding their way to me are looking for these types of answers because they've been following my material for a while and they know this is sort of how I operate, that it's really more of like, here is the menu of options of things that are going to be supportive for you and help your energy flow and help your, your, you know, destiny unfold mm-hmm. um, because it's not just about health. It's about life um, as a whole. Um, So sort of like how you were saying, as soon as I stopped, you know, funneling my energy into, into places that were overwhelming for me, which is people who are coming in and and asking me to fix quote unquote, fix them. um, Like uh, that river opened up, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm finding that it's, so much easier to work with the client base that I have now um, because they're sort of in this natural place of like wanting to work on themselves. Yes. Um, And this is not to say that, um, you know, there's anything wrong with being a type A sort of personality because that's what we get validated for, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that I actually draw in a lot of those folks because that's, where I used to live and operate my life for so long. And yeah. so I get where that comes from, that drive, that validation. And so I think it's an, on an individual basis, you know, so it's yeah. really seeking out where's that pain point? Like what is that driving force that is making you expend all this energy in a way that you and your body and your life does not want to push in that direction. And so again, it's like, like how can we nourish that that pain point a lot of it goes back to our inner children Mm. you know a lot of it goes back to this feeling of like i'm not good enough if i'm not doing you know it goes back to yeah you know our messages that we were handed down when we were little and and spongy little creatures Mm -hmm. and and so it's a lot of it is about going back to that place and rewriting that narrative um and really looking at your life in a conscious sort of way so that you can you know as you say like sort of like share your gifts that that you inherently have your your natural constitution yeah i agree and good answer first of all so i i definitely see you know what you're pointing at i agree with you and the thing that i've realized as well is that sometimes like you said, we'll use the type A as, a as an example, type A personality. Type A's exist for a reason. Mm-hmm. And people that treat pathology exist for a reason. Mm-hmm. And there are people who I have worked with who have uh, sometimes in Chinese, the Chinese medicine field, they're like, Greg, I kind of want to do a little bit more direction of what you're doing. And after exploring it, and we've talked about it, and we, I look at their face and we talk about it, I say, that might not actually be the best move. Mm-hmm. Like that actually might not be the best thing. You actually kind of have the eyes and the skull and you know the bone structure for someone who's actually 
highly analytical mm -hmm. and who really needs to have that super narrow focus for certain mm -hmm. things. Mm. And they sort of relax into that because maybe their parents were actually more artistic or whatever, and they thought yeah. they should be that way. And so it's been a weird game for me to kind of go back to this place. I'm like, wow, there are some people that actually really do have that, like that tunnel vision. And sometimes it serves them tremendously well. Mm -hmm. They usually just have to allocate resources elsewhere so that it doesn't consume them because any yeah. gift can, can be, can run amok. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a weird line to, to walk and finding people like, do you naturally have that or was it, mm -hmm. or was it forced on you? Mm. And you have to ask yourself, like, did that thing that I'm doing, you know, was it force fed to me or do I actually naturally have it? Cause sometimes every now and again, parents will push their kids to do things that they're, the kids actually like. They're like, yeah, this was awesome. I did yeah, it. Of you know, I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And I'm glad my parents pushed me to And other times. Not so much. Yeah. It's a huge mess sometimes. Yeah. And I love the way that you think too, because I think, there's so much about, you know, what we were taught in school and, and I swear this did not, <laughs> um, I wasn't planning on this being like a, like an acupuncture school bashing sort of session. Um, but there's this model again, sort of going back to like what we yeah. were taught as children, like wh what we were taught as acupuncture students is yeah. this model of, you know, if you're seeing for me, I was told, you know, 50 patients a week, like, right. like, you know, how dare you turn away patients and, you know, you take everybody that you can. There's this scarcity yep. mindset around the business yep. around acupuncture. Mm -hmm. And for me, like it, it feels so much better when I can look at somebody and be like, you know what, I, I think that um, like your suffering is real and I see that yeah. and I'm not the right person to actually support you with this. Yeah. But I do know somebody who is amazing at back pain or, you know, yes. who's amazing at helping you come up with a yep. diet plan, you know, like, yep. and so like, I love this idea of um, there's enough for everybody. Mm -hmm. And, and when you operate with that sense, it's like, okay, so then the patient has autonomy and who they get to choose as their practitioner. Yeah. And it's so important because so much of our system is based on like a scarcity mindset um, for both the patient and the practitioner. Um, Agreed fully. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it makes me, it makes me think about our journey with Chinese medicine and how different of an experience it would have been if we had started school and they said, okay, so there's a branch where you treat pathology and disease. Yeah. There's also people that are not going to gravitate towards that. There's people that are going to be very kinesthetically aware and will probably be very good movement therapists. Like they're mm -hmm. going to be excellent at Tai Chi, Qigong. There's going to be people who are great at dietary stuff and maybe like cooking and preparing food. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's so many, it, it would have been, if it had been a broader menu, we're like, who, so where do I actually fit in this Chinese medicine yeah. spectrum? Yeah. As opposed to being like this little narrow bandwidth, like that's yeah. how everyone does it. And that's what you're going to have to do. And you've got to open a practice and you got to treat pathology and you just got to do this thing. And I think that was where there were a lot of people who really felt like, yeah, I can do this, but I also thought I'd have a little more um, creative freedom in yeah. terms of like how I actually choose to do this. And I didn't even know it was there until I was in it, you know, and I think yeah. I was, you, you kind of stumble into it. Yeah. But um, I, I hear you. I mean, and I then definitely imagine how that it. opens up the door for the patient, too. Oh, you huge. know, like yeah. for somebody who's like, Hey, like, 
you know, laying on a table and receiving needles feels so nourishing to me. Um, and then there might be another type person who is like, hey, like finding a mentor who's going to help me move my body is going to yeah. feel so nourishing to me, you know? And Correct. so like it gives us the opportunity to like actually come up with a customized like quote unquote treatment plan for each yep. patient yep. and, and finding the right match for, for each person too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it puts them into dialogue with that basic mechanism, which is if you want energy, you have to use it. Mm-hmm. You have to put something into the pot mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to just uh, laying there and just taking. Yeah. And that's not to say that, you know, like, again, that sometimes that's exactly what's needed. Yeah. Some, you know, that's absolutely needed, but it does put them into that thing. If you want energy, you got to use it. You got to spend mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. if you spend it uh, appropriately, it's um, not just wasting money. It's an investment. You, know, you, yeah. start to like, you start to accrue energy and money. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's why like I love talking about the points with my patients. Yeah. Like that's one of my favorite things about working with, um, with clients is, you know, if I can tell them the story that I'm trying to tell their body through needles, mm-hmm. you know, if I can talk to them about like, oh, like, like what is, you know, this um, inner outer gate point doing for you. It's helping you protect yourself. It's sparking up that pericardium energy so that your heart feels like there's actually a little bit of armor. So you don't have to take everything on, you know, like you have the ability to open that gate when you want to and close the gate if you need to, you know, like that feels so much more nourishing for somebody to hear that. And then also engage their intention and energetics around it rather yeah. than me just sticking a point in somebody and being like this is going to fix you, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. that'll take care of that back pain for you yeah. see you later yeah <laughs> yeah I, it's absolutely right yeah i agree um cat can i interject and steer the conversation a direction because there's something and i only say this because as we're talking i remember the first time i heard about face reading and there were so many questions i wanted to ask specifically about about it. Absolutely. Let's, that I was like, let's I, was like oh, I, I want to, you know, I wish I could have heard those things. And I think this is the thing just to give people some pointers. Cause I like when we do these kind of conversations, I like people to come out with some, some new things, some like mm-hmm. they've already picked up a lot, but I also want to give them some like very specific things. So people that are looking at themselves, if they've got a mirror at home, they can actually pick up a couple things here. Mm. even if they never cross paths with me, but they can actually walk away with some things just by looking at their face that might point them to some good basic lifestyle stuff. Love it. So I would love to give just a couple key ones. And the ones that I like to touch on are, is this relationship between what they call feng shui, wind and water, the relationship between our external environment and the features of the face. So one of the first things I do when I'm looking at my people and they come to me is looking at what they call the mountains and rivers of a face. And this is a lens where you look at the face and by looking at the mountains and rivers of the face, you can identify the type of geography that is optimal for you. So not everyone can live in the most pristine Switzerland mountains. Your face might be that, but who has the money and we can't all live there. So it's more about knowing that these are places you can visit too, if you want to Mm -hmm. recharge, if you want that kind of thing. But the big one is this, the mountains of the face, okay, the big bony protrusions are going to be the forehead, Mm -hmm. the nose the cheekbones and the jaw, not the chin per se, but the actual jaw. Mm-hmm. So these features, the mountains are going to point to what we would call like the topographical terrain, the things that actually crop out of the ground. 
So people with large noses, which is the, the prominent, the most prominent mountain on the face, mm -hmm. the bigger the nose, especially from profile, someone like Barbara Streisand, who's got the, the long, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. the, the really do strong dominant nose. This is when they, someone has a large mountain, th this quite literally means, or someone has a very strong nose, that where they're going to be most recharged is around terrain where there's a lot of open land with one big prominent mountain. Mm. So they're going to have like this one, like a, like a Mount Shasta, mm -hmm. somewhere like that where it's just big. So that's one of them. Okay. If people have big, open, broad foreheads too, this is, these are mountains that have large, open, flat areas too. So big foreheads, big noses, big cheekbones, you know, really strong cut jaws. These are all mountain features, which means people are going to need some very real elevation and change in terrain. They're going to need some big, not jagged necessarily, right? The pointier the features, the more jagged it sort of points to. If they're really soft, they're going to be looking at, you know, softer mountains. Mm -hmm. But I think this is one of the key ways is just understanding terrain. These big mountains are going to mean you need some strong mountain energy. Mm -hmm. And then if we go to the rivers of the face, you've got the eyes. So the, all the areas that have moisture or that accrue moisture, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. eyes, the ears because of earwax, mm -hmm. the nose, nostrils, and the mouth. Okay, where there's moisture. Mm. These are all water features and they point to the size of the bodies of water that are most optimal for you. So people that have very large eyes, big eyed people, these are people that are going to need big water. All right. So mm. big, big ears. Okay. Large ears, a large mouth. Uh, one of the people, celebrities that I've looked at, I haven't read her face yet on my YouTube channel, but I'm going to at some point is Julia Roberts because she's got that really big, huge, just big mouth, big smile. Yeah. It's a huge water feature. And when people have a large nostrils, when they've got these big water features, the basic idea that I want people to kind of walk away with is the smaller the features, the smaller bodies of water they need. They don't need, if someone has small eyes, small ears, small mouth, small nostrils, all they really need are just beautiful ponds. They need, mm -hmm. they need just small water features. They need a little bit of, of water, but it doesn't have to be this predominant theme in their life. Mm -hmm. And they're actually going to feel safer around smaller water. Mm -hmm, you put mm -hmm. a person like that, you know, with a house, a coastal beach house, while that might be awesome for a lot of people, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That yeah, water is way, grounding. Yeah, that's way too big of water. My face doesn't fully capture that. And the opposite is true. Big water features, they're going to need big water, big lakes oceans, mm -hmm. at least to drop in on them. And, and, and there's, right, there's guidance with that. If they have small nostrils and big eyes, it's going to mean something slightly different. Mm -hmm. But these are some of the basic ideas that people can take in terms of looking at the mountains and rivers and identifying. So if you're at home listening to this, look at the size of your eyes, the size of your nostrils, the size mm -hmm. of your mouth, and the size of the ears. If you have larger features, ask yourself if there's any uh, congruency there that you like larger bodies of water and the people yeah. that are like smaller where do they feel most at peace? Yeah. So, you know, we could, of course, we could be here for six hours and dive into like what the face <laughs> means. But I think, I, I think that establishing that connection between face reading and feng shui yeah. is one of the most primary ones because if we can establish what our face says and then put ourselves into environments where that is being reflected, mm -hmm. we're essentially connecting with that which we are. And it's like the signature gets bigger. It's like, ah, oh, this is a terrain that actually looks like me. And mm. then you have this relationship between the inside and outside. And that's mm. really something. Yeah. And if people take this into account as well, say we just don't have the money. You, know, you can't get to these places. You can't fly to New Zealand and just go live on a mountain and do that thing. This is where then we can reflect these things in our 
internal environments in our homes. Mm. We can start having, if you have big water features, you should probably have some water imagery in your house. You should probably have a running fountain. You should probably have some blue colors, aqua colors, having, you know, imagery of a tortoise or a dolphin or, you know, something that is, that relates to water for you. Mm. And the same thing goes for mountains. If you've got big, huge mountain features, you might want to have a picture of some kind of big Big mountain. mountain. Yeah. Or having metal, you know, something that's of the metal element. Um, so these kinds of things, I don't want to go too deep into it, but I just feel like, you know, I always want to give like one little slice of the pie that people can take and like, oh, that's cool. That's something, Absolutely. something for me to ponder while I yeah. go out into the world. Yeah. And there's so much on your YouTube channel. Like I know that you've broken down the the faces of several celebrities and I've learned so much just from watching your YouTube channel and, yeah. and you know, like just also like it gives you permission to be who you are. You know, yeah. I think I was, was it the Oprah one that you were doing? And you talked a lot about like emotionality mm-hmm. on that particular video. And I like see a lot of resemblance in, um, in some of the things that you were talking about. And I was like, oh, that's why I'm so emotional and why I'm sort of like yeah. bent towards like supporting fo- folks yes. in that realm, you know? And for- so that's why it feels so good and easy for me to, to be in that space versus, you know, supporting somebody who's got an ankle injury. Like it's just not really my jam to support sports injuries. Yeah. You, you and Oprah have, both of you have earth and water predominance. Like, mm-hmm. so, and that's going to be nourishment. That's going to be flow. <laughs> you know, it's going to be some, some big life themes. You guys definitely have features. So that makes sense. And it is cool, right? When you see it, it's, there's an acknowledgement and sort of a, an affirmation yeah. of, of you. You're like, yeah. aha. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that feels good. Then I can lean into that without any kind of guilt around it. Yeah. And it's clever to like use the celebrities because at this point, like they're almost like archetypes, right? So very like so. when you look at the rock, who's going to have very, very different features from oh, yeah. Oprah yeah. or I can't remember who else did I watch on your channel? I've done Keanu Reeves. I've done some serial killers too. I've done yeah. uh, those are interesting as well. Yeah, but there's, yeah. A, there's, a, there's a few on there. I've done a Willem Dafoe. Um, I take votes, you know, so people can always comment on my YouTube channel. I invite that's people awesome. like, like, who do you want to see red? And that's where a lot of, I'm very much um, of that mind because I'm like, yeah, who do you guys want to see red? Who, who yeah. What faces are interesting to you? Yeah. You know, as a side note to that, Keanu Reeves was actually, um, that one has gotten, I think, the most hits, like the most views out of all the face huh. readings, like by a pretty sizable um a pretty sizable number. Like I, uh-huh. that one's got thousands of views and it's really interesting because one of the things I talk about in his face reading um, assessment is that he has, so he has a total very low fire. Like his fire element is lacking yeah. tremendously. He doesn't have a ton of like just glowy sparkle, but he's got, he's got a tremendous depth to his gaze, which, which is basically sort of like a black hole. It has this gravitas, like this gravitational pull. And I talk about that. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's part of why Keanu Reeves has so much allure. There's a mystery to him. He Mm -hmm. has that, that um, type of peach luck. That's very mysterious and sort of deep. And people are always like, who is he? What is his story? What's going on in that dude's head? And it's amazing that like, just, he's got the most views. It's like, even, Mm -hmm. even when I put his picture up, it seems like even on the digital YouTube realm, people have like, and people love Keanu, mind you, but it's really interesting to see where that kind of stuff goes. And the, you know, the energetics don't lie. That's the coolest part. It's not, um, and as I say this, you know, I always want to give that that primer and that preface that, you know, face reading 
is fallible. Like you, it, you can, you can read it and be like, that's not going to be a hundred percent true for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's um, infallible, but like I said, in my, my intro videos, it doesn't mean it's irrelevant either. Yeah. Just because we should look for these large rhythms and these large patterns. And it doesn't have to be exactly a hundred percent true for every person. Yeah. It doesn't mean that the, the rhythm or pattern shouldn't be considered because yeah. there's going to be something that leads you in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, like, I do love those videos just because, like, it's almost like you're talking, talking archetypes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, um, it's like when you do the rock, it's mm-hmm. the warrior archetype. When you do yeah. Oprah, it's like the queen archetype. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you sort of, like, break it down to those basic natures, then it's like, like it's almost like just recognizing the, the prominent archetype that's within you. And yep living to that strength and living to that yeah um and just allowing for that energy to flow out yeah you're exactly right and that's why i enjoy doing them i mean i I, it's it's good practice for me too i mean to look at to look at them but i also think it's good to look at it and it it also it does a couple of things it makes it transparent to where i'm saying it's not about me guessing Mm, if -hmm. if these things are right and me being psychic about keanu reeves or (laughs) Or Oprah, it's like obviously with celebrities, we can go online and validate their life, right? I can read up and hear about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I'm very transparent with that. I'm like, I do research the hell out of them. And <laughs> what I'm doing with a face reading is I'm looking for, here's the classical theory around these features and what it says. Mm-hmm. And they have them and let's cross reference and see if they connect. And it's amazing how often they do. And mm-hmm. that's the way I approach it. It's almost like, I face read to validate the theory in a sense, yeah. as opposed to trying be, to be right or to be psychic about yeah. it. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not trying to be psychic. I'm trying to say, here's what the book says and here's what the texts say and what the yeah. teachers in the oral tradition, oral tradition yeah. says, and then here's them and here's all the proof of their life. Isn't that interesting how they connect? Mm-hmm. That's, and I think for me, that's more interesting. And it's, it, it's like, I'm not a scientist, but it's like the part of me that's like slightly analytical. I'm like, yeah, I get to connect these dots now. Yeah. And, that's, and that's a cool thing to do. And as somebody who's receiving a face reading, if somebody were to become a client of yours, like how validating is that? To Usually very. Yeah. <laughs> that's the feedback I get. Yeah. yeah. Like to have somebody say like, oh, these challenges, these, these strengths that you've had in your life, like it actually shows up on your face. You know? Yes, it does. It's got to yeah. feel so validating. And, and again, to sort of speak to that inner child piece, it's like, like almost like you're reparenting these folks um, yes. and being like, I am seeing exactly who you are, your yeah. unique being, you yeah. know? Yeah. And people, people want to be seen. I mean, who doesn't want to be acknowledged and uh, valued and appreciated? I think most of us do. It's a pretty common basic human need. And, and with all of this, with the, with the life nourishment, I still do talk pathology with my, my people too. You know, there are, there are red flags on the face, on the face where, I've said to people, and I talk about it in the face readings of celebrities too. I'm like, ooh, they've got a mark that says their jing is starting to leak. And mm. and I do tell people those things, you know. So it's not that I steer clear of it completely, but I think it's 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 more of like address, know that that's happening, mm-hmm. but it's really happening because you're not funneling into your gifts. You know, mm. so but I still talk about the pathology sometimes with people, especially if they have the big glaring red flags yeah um for, for people listening you know if you have any kind of really deep vertical uh 
wrinkles down the center line of your face between the eyebrows, down the nose, between the nose, down the center of the philtrum, you know, the lips, the chin, any strong vertical, that's a, you know, call me. <laughs> there's, there's things to, to be careful of as well. Mm. Um, and it's not to scare people or anything to say that like, you know, it doesn't mean imminent death, but it means that you've got to start funneling a certain way. So oh, I think it's like, in a different way. yeah, you got to move it. You have to circulate it. And I think that's, um, that's the good thing, but it, it, in the end, it kind of all comes back to this framing thing. How do you tell the story so it doesn't yeah. make, make, make people feel bad? I'm like, we're all going to leak. We're, yeah. all leak. we're all leaking. You know, no one gets out alive. So yeah. we're, all, we're all leaking to a degree. But um, it's just, you know, slowing the leaks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like I've learned so much in this episode. Thank you so much for having this conversation with of me. Of course, Craig. thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pleasure to always drop in with you and to talk shop on this stuff that we're passionate about and that yeah. I think is really good for people. It's helpful. Yeah, I I agree. So, if people want to find you, can you share all the places that people can find you at? Yes. So my website is omnihealthandlifestyle.com. So that's all just one word. Omni is O M N I. So omnihealthandlifestyle.com and you can contact me that way. That's my, my phone number and information if you want to reach out. I do have a podcast called Lifestyle Medicine. So you can find that on iTunes under Lifestyle Medicine. It also shows up on YouTube, but my YouTube channel is just my name, Gray Estrada. So G-R-A-Y-E-S-T-R-A-D-A. If you go to YouTube and type that in, my podcasts are recorded there so you can see the person talking. All the face reading videos are there. Um, I'm always trying to build that channel so to get the stuff out. So that way. And then if you want to find me on Facebook, it's just my name, Gray Estrada. And on Instagram, same thing, Gray Estrada, but Gray underscore Estrada. Yeah. So those are pretty much all the places you can find me. And um, you can get a hold of me through any, any or all of those. Yeah. And I love your YouTube channel. Like, thank you for putting you. that content out there. It's just so helpful. And um, I've picked up a couple pieces just as a practitioner and um, like, you know, I know to ask about grief and, and things like that, because you yeah. talk about the lines down the sides of the eyes. And, um, mm -hmm. and so it's been, it's been particularly helpful as, as a practitioner. So if there's any practitioners out there, uh, go check out his YouTube channel. There's a lot of amazing content so yeah well, thank, thank you, you again gray you bet yeah okay take care Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure you screenshot, post, and tag me on Instagram so we can keep the conversation going. And to get notified when the next episode drops, make sure to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss one of our chats.